preaching for us. And so I would like to introduce to you David Sparks. David and his wife Amy are missionaries with the International Mission Board of the Southern Baptist Convention. They serve in Western Europe and are on uh, stateside assignment. They're home on furlough for about eight or nine months as they're preparing to head back to Western Europe. He'll talk a little bit about the work that they do, but I thought this would be a fantastic opportunity for us to make the work of missions real so that when you think about missions, you don't just think about you don't just think about nameless, faceless people who are out there who are serving, but you can put a name and a face. You can, you can uh, put those together, draw the connections, and know that it's, it's over 3,000 missionaries like David and his wife Amy who are strategically located, reaching people across the globe through our network of missionaries and our international mission board who are working together, partnering together with us in the same work that we have of loving people to faith in Christ, multiplying disciples as we advance the gospel together. And so David is an Oklahoma guy. He grew up in Oklahoma. His wife did as well. Uh, his wife, Amy, even has connection, has roots here in Chickasha with family that are from Chickasha. And so there's a, a local connection as well. So would you join me in welcoming David Sparks to come and bring the word for us this morning? Had to figure out how to turn that on. Well, it's good to be here this morning. Um, you know, I really appreciated uh, Michael taking a moment during the song to have us enter into a, a posture of prayer. Uh, I remember, uh, you know, it's really first. It's really hard to to come to church and worship on a Sunday if you haven't worshipped during the week. Okay, um, but to take that opportunity to to just remember and stop and remember. Uh, I had a pastor about. 25 years ago, and he would actually do an altar call before, serv- before the sermon uh, because he wanted people to get their, heart right, their hearts right with God before they actually heard the sermon. Um, and so I really, I really appreciated that, that uh, taking that opportunity, Michael, to call us to worship. I'm going to get real close so that they can hear me through your microphone. I okay. forgot to do something. I was supposed to dismiss our children for Children's Church, too. Ah. And, I, and I didn't do that. And so... Now it's going to be real awkward because not at all. I made a mistake. So we're going to dismiss our, our children for kids' crew. Thank you. I'm sorry. <laughs> no problem. No problem. So <clears throat> that's what happens whenever you get, you know, uh, yeah, out of whack. So uh, anyway, so yeah, that was 25 years ago. And um, I am uh, I'm older than I look. Um, uh, if uh, any of y'all get the uh, pray for your missionaries on their birthdays, anyone get that still? Anyone? Maybe? I don't know. If you did, you saw my name in there this week. So uh, this time last week, I was 47. And uh, as of Thursday, I'm 48. And uh, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm proud of the fact that I still have all my hair. And uh, I told someone this week, uh, I said, you know, they said, hey, you're getting really close to 50. And I said, well, but I still, have, I still have my hair. I said, now it's receded a bit, but it's still there. It's just it's coming out of my ears and my nose and, you know, other places. So, um, And then our pastor in Madrid, his daughter, um, wrote me and wished me happy birthday. And she said, she says, fortunately, David, you still look, you still look like you're 21 from a distance. And so <laughs> I'm like, thank you. <laughs> so 
Anyway, it really is good to be here. Um, I had a chance to meet Michael at Iron Tree uh, a few months ago, and he invited me to come and speak, and I'm really grateful for that. I want to be able to uh, share with you all from the Word today and also uh, tell you a little bit about uh, how this applies uh, to missions and, and what we do. Uh, my wife and I do, we'll be heading back on March 20th to uh, transferring from Spain to France. Uh, we're going to be uh, going to Strasbourg, France. Uh, the reason for the move is we are in a, a regional leadership position, and uh, moving to Strasbourg puts us more central to the team that, uh, that we supervise. So uh, we supervise a team throughout Western uh, Europe uh, for logistics. So uh, currently that's from all the way down to uh, Portugal and Spain, all the way up to the Nordic countries, uh, Sweden and Finland, and all the way over to Iceland. So uh, we got all of that, and uh, we're able to do what we do because of y'all. And uh, as Michael said, we are uh, not only Oklahomans, but we are missionaries, and we are your missionaries um, because you sent us. And that's something that may surprise some of you. Um, you sent us out because you're Southern Baptists. And the Southern Baptists are, are the ones who send us out, and so we're grateful for that. And that's what I want to talk to you about today. Um, so, let's see if my PowerPoint's up. Okay. Uh, what would you think of if I asked you to think of the largest living organism on earth? So, some of you might think of an elephant. All right? Uh, they're big. And, and then, or elephants playing, because this is fun. I just want y'all to see this. <laughs> Baby elephants playing. Some of you might think of a whale. And specifically, a blue whale. Some of you might think of the giant sequoia trees. But how many of you would think of a quaking aspen tree as the largest living organism on earth? See, describing the lifespan of a quaking aspen is an interesting endeavor. Individual Quaking aspen stems usually live for about 50 to 60 years, sometimes up to 150 in the West. However, in many cases, each tree is actually part of a much larger organism, since multiple stems can sprout from the same root system. When trees that are a part of these large clones die, they eventually are replaced with new growth. Therefore, while one stem has a relatively short lifespan, the entire clone can live for thousands of years. Fun fact, a grove of quaking aspens in Utah is the largest known living thing on earth. Nearly 50,000 stems protrude from a single root system. The entire organism covers over 100 acres and weighs 6,000 tons. As Christians, we need to be like the aspen tree. If you'll turn with me to Galatians 2, 1 through 9. <clears throat> then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me. I went up because of a revelation and set before them, though privately before those who seemed influential, the gospel that I proclaim among the Gentiles in order to make sure I was not running or had r not run in vain. 
But even Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised, though he was Greek. Yet, because a false brother secretly brought in, who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus so that they might bring us into slavery, to them we did not yield in submission even for a moment, so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. And from those who seemed to be influential, what they were makes no difference to me. God knows there no, shows no partiality. Those, I say, who seemed influential added nothing to me. On the contrary, when they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised, for he who worked through Peter for his apostolic ministry to the circumcised worked through me uh, for mine, worked also through me for mine to the Gentiles. And when James and Cephas and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given to me, they gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me, that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. Now, I have a few takeaways from this. I got three. This is a good sermon. We're going to have three takeaways, but then I got some good sub points too. So um, I'm going to try to get you out of here in a reasonable amount of time so, uh, so we can beat the Methodist of buffet line. And Paul always traveled with someone. Have you noticed that in Scripture? He always traveled with someone. He didn't travel alone. It says in verse 1, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me. Now, Paul said a couple of times in the Corinthians, imitate me as I imitate Christ. In Luke, in Luke 10, 1, Jesus sent out the 72. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. So what I pull from Galatians 2, 1 is Paul was demonstrating to us one-on-one discipleship and accountability. I believe strongly that we should always go out together, never alone. I am convinced that on his journeys, Paul never ceased to disciple those around him. So like the aspen tree that clones itself to become a forest, Paul clones himself to Christ. And we should seek to imitate Christ as Paul did. That's a pretty good sermon just in itself, right? We can just stop there. It's pretty good. We're going to keep going. Along these same lines of, of always going together... You know, as, as Christians, we're created for community. We're not created to be individualistic. We're created for community. And this is something else that we can learn from the Aspen tree. So we see uh, in Galatians 2, 1 through 9, that there was a community of believers. Now, an Aspen tree is able to create clones of itself as, it root, as its roots spread out. And when these little clones sprout up and become trees of their own, they share the same root system. So thereby, each clone tree is able to feed the other clones and be fed by their clones as well. Doesn't that sound like how we should be as a community of believers? 1 Corinthians 12.26 tells us if one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. We are all connected. We're connected through the Holy Spirit. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. Uh, So in some cases, we should treat each other like family. In other cases, maybe we shouldn't. Number two, 
group accountability, and submission. That's my other takeaway. And I'll relate this back to how we, who we are as, as Southern Baptists. Uh, verse 2, in order to make sure I was not running or had not run in vain, when Paul went to Jerusalem, he accomplished quite a few things. Okay? He, one, he submitted to the authority of the apostles in Jerusalem. Paul understood that first and foremost, he was under the authority of God because he was sent out by the Holy Spirit. He says this in Acts 13, 4. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they, Paul and Barnabas, went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. He knew he was sent out by the Holy Spirit first and foremost. But he also set for us an example of accountability to others by going to meet with the church leaders in Jerusalem. I've come to believe that one of the primary reasons that it's good for missionaries to periodically uh, return home from overseas is for accountability to the churches. By reporting back to the church about our ministry, we make ourselves accountable to the SBC churches, to the ones who have sent us out. practical example of, of this accountability uh, just within the church itself and the structure of, uh, of the Southern Baptist uh, is the, the church member is accountable to the church, the other members, right? The church then is accountable to the association. Association is accountable to the state. State's accountable to the national convention. And ultimately that comes right back around to a big old circle and the National Convention is accountable to the church members. It's big cir- circular accountability. But we're all accountable to each other. And it's important for us to learn as believers. Because we have to be willing to be held accountable, we have to be willing to hold others accountable too. Paul was willing to be held accountable to the Council of Jerusalem even though he, he did ultimately recognize that his, his ultimate accountability came from God. And then lastly, to establish unity and trust. Verse 9 says, And when James and Cephas and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given to me, they gave me the right hand of fellowship, Uh, Sorry, they gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. Now, I don't know if any of you grew up in small country churches or not. I did. My little country church, uh, about 50 people, called Romulus Baptist Church, if any of you ever heard of that. It's out by Macomb, Oklahoma. And um, uh, now I've talked to my wife about this. She did not have the same experience growing up in a little country church um, out in Cole, uh, but this is what Romulus would do. Anytime someone would come forward um, to either uh, receive Christ uh, or to join the church, we would then, at the, at the end of the service, they would stand down here in the front, and then we would line up and we would walk by them and extend the right hand of fellowship to welcome them into the church. Does this sound familiar to anyone? Have you all seen this? Okay. So traditionally, that's what the right hand of, of fellowship was. It was welcoming people into 
into your, your body, into your, your community. But I want to offer a different perspective on this this morning. Merriam-Webster defines uh, the uh, right hand of fellowship as a hand clasp with the, with the right hand given in some Christian communions in token of the fellowship of the church at occasional ceremonies as a formal public welcome of new members by the pastor or congregation as the installation or ordination of a minister. However, the right hand of fellowship has become, uh, although the, the right hand of fellowship has become symbolic of welcoming someone into the faith, let's look at this. Craig S. Keener from Palmer Theological Seminary says it like this, Although in some churches today, receiving the right hand of fellowship refers to being accepted into church membership, Paul's expression in Galatians 2.9 refers instead to an agreement between himself and the pillars of the Jerusalem church. In a general sense, clasping hands communicated positive sentiments and relationships, relieving anxiety, more specifically and more relevantly to our passage in Galatians, it could, it could confirm an agreement. Learn from the Bible says it like this. When we give someone the right hand of fellowship, we are suggesting that we agree to serve God with that believer. So we look back at Paul and Barnabas. <clears throat> when did Paul and Barnabas receive the right hand of fellowship? They received it after they perceived the grace that was given to Paul. And why did they extend that right hand of fellowship? So that they should go. To send them out. So the right hand of fellowship isn't so much about welcoming in. It's about an agreement. It's about an agreement to serve together, to minister together to love together. It's an agreement and a commitment to go, to be sent out. So just as the aspen tree is connected by singular root system, Southern Baptist churches are connected together through the cooperative program. How many of you know about the cooperative program? You can raise your hand if you want. You don't have to. As you pay your tithe on Sunday mornings and as you give to Lottie Moon Christmas offering, you're, you're, you support your missionaries around the world to continue to do the work with which you've entrusted us. Just to educate you real quick, I'm sure Michael may have already educated you on this, so I may be beating a dead horse here, but when you, when you pay your tithe on a Sunday morning, a portion of that is going to go to the state convention uh, of Oklahoma, and then Oklahoma is going to send a portion of that to the national convention. And then somewhere around, it used to be about 51.8% of that goes to the International Mission Board. Because the Southern Baptists, we were founded on missions. 
That's foundational for you as a Southern Baptist. One hundred percent of what you give to the Lottie Moon Christmas offering goes to the to the uh, International uh, Mission Board. Uh, I hadn't intended to give you any numbers because people tend to fall asleep when I start talking numbers. But twenty twenty two, you gave through the cooperative program. You gave a hundred uh, hundred million dollars, and through the Lottie Moon Christmas offering, you gave two hundred million. So thank you. And we're able to do that because we do it together. 47,000 Southern Baptist churches in the United States pulled together to be able to bring all that money into one pot so that we can take Jesus to the nations. So we thank you. We thank you for sending us out. And to that end, Amy and I want to say on behalf of all missionaries, Thank you, First Baptist Chickasha, for extending to us the right hand of fellowship. We are accountable to you. Oklahoma Baptists have embraced us and loved us. You have supported us spiritually with prayers. You have supported us financially. And you have supported us in your actions by sending volunteer teams to walk alongside us and to work with us in Western Europe and around the world. We partner together with you to take the gospel to the nations. We see in Scripture where the churches periodically sent people to help Paul in his mission. So if you haven't joined with an IMB missionary team, then I ask you to prayerfully consider where in the world God is calling you to join with IMB. Thank you, First Baptist Chickasha for extending the right hand of fellowship in agreement to send me and Amy and 3,600 other missionaries to the nations. The same as you extend the right hand of fellowship to each other every Sunday morning to be sent out to Chickasha and the surrounding communities, you send us to the nations. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much uh, for this church for their love for this community, how every Sunday morning they are sent out to show your love uh, to their neighbors, to their colleagues in Chickasha and the surrounding communities. Father, I ask that you'll continue to lift this church up uh, to be a beacon and a light of hope in this community. I thank you for Michael and his leadership uh, of this, over this church. Thank you for your entrusting him uh, to shepherd uh, these people. Father, I don't know what's going on in anyone's lives this morning. I know that uh, um, there could be pain. Uh, there could be hurt in people's lives. And I know, Father, that you tell us in Isaiah that you are that you were afflicted with those who were afflicted. You relate to us, God. You know us. We are your creation. I ask, Father, finally, that as this church goes out today, 
that they will not hold inside that salvation that you have offered to them, but they will freely share it with those who will hear it. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.